Welcome back to the What Do We Do podcast. On today's show, we have three-time Team USA Olympic swimmer and gold medal champion Peter Vanderkay. PVK is in studio to talk about competing in sport as an Olympic swimmer and now competing in business as an entrepreneur. It's going to be a great show. Let's get to it. Welcome to What Do We Do? A podcast discussing wealth management and financial planning featuring key leaders in our communities. Hosted by founder and CEO of Great Lakes Wealth, Dewey Stefan. Tune in to hear how you can plan for and live your best life. Welcome back to the What Do We Do podcast. This is season three, episode one. And as a reminder, the mission of the What Do We Do podcast is to provide information to help our community invest for success and be wealthy, healthy, and wise. And one way that we do this is by finding leaders in our community that have a story to tell, knowledge to share, and advice to give. And then we get them into our studio to talk to our community. And today, Today's guest is a leader in so many ways. He's an Olympic world and collegiate champion. He's a motivational speaker. He's an entrepreneur. He's actually also a YouTube celebrity. He's a son. He's a brother. He's a husband. And most recently, he's a father. He's a mentor and a friend. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited to welcome to the show, Peter Vanderkay. Peter, welcome to the What Do We Do podcast. Thanks for having me, Dewey. You bet. Now, the first question I'm going to ask Peter is, is it Peter, Pete, or PVK? I go by either or, um, not particular. So whatever people, some people call me Pete, some say Peter. I, I, I respond to all. All right. Well, I'm going to call you Olympic champion. I'm going to call you family man. I'm going to call you the big dog today. Does that sound that all right? Sounds good. Okay. Well, with that, I'm going to actually read your bio because our listeners and our viewers out there may not know all about you. And I want to make sure that they do because it's so impressive. I'm um, just amazed and I'm just um, happy to share it with everybody. Okay. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, Peter Vanderke, a.k.a. PVK, is one of the most decorated U.S. swimmers of the past 20 years. Pete is a three-time Team USA Olympian. PVK first competed in 2004 in Athens, Greece, where he won a gold medal in the 4x200 freestyle relay. Then, four years later, in 2008 in Beijing, China, PVK won another gold medal in the 4x200 freestyle relay, and he set a world record with his teammates at that event. Also, Peter, you won an individual bronze medal in the 200-meter freestyle. Do you remember that? I do. Of course you do. Next up was London, England for the 2012 Summer Olympics, where Pete was co-captain of the men's Olympic swim team, and you won your fourth medal, another individual bronze, this time in the 400-meter freestyle. Is this correct? That's all correct. Love it. And if that's not enough, ladies and gentlemen, Peter is also one of the most accomplished collegiate swimmers of our day, where he swam four and is a graduate of the University of Michigan. Go blue. Go blue. Yeah, baby. Peter is also a five-time NCAA champion, 10-time Big Ten champion, Big Ten Swimmer of the Year in 2004, 2005, and 2006, and an All-American all four years in Michigan. In your senior year, 2006, you were named University of Michigan Male Athlete of the Year and Big Ten Male Athlete of the Year. Pete also holds an American swimming record and was at one time a world record holder, as I mentioned 
earlier. Pete, I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks again for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Listen, we're going to start in the beginning, okay? That's when you were a little a little uh, tadpole, a little guppy. <laughs> this is how we start when we're swimming. Do you understand this? Oh, yeah. I okay. Remember. So uh, to get us off and get us going, just talk about uh, – what age did you find the pool and kind of just talk about the early years of Peter and uh, swimming and everything else? Sure. So I started swimming at a, a young age. My parents uh, swam high school, uh, a little bit in college. My dad swam at Albion and uh, I have three brothers, one older and two younger. And uh, my older brother wanted to start the swim team. So being the younger brother, I said, sure, I'll do that too. And I was seven years old. Um, it was just a summer club team, you know, just a couple months out of the year. And uh, I wasn't very good. I was able to make the team, which all you had to do was swim one length of the pool. And uh, But what I learned all the strokes that summer, had a good time, met friends on, on the team, and my friends were a lot faster than I was, and I, it's because they swam year-round. So my brother and I got into year-round training at the uh, Oakland Live Wires uh, up in Rochester where we grew up and uh, kind of went from there. So there were a number of years I was not, you know, Anybody, anyone looked at and said, that guy's going to go to the Olympics one day. Um, it wasn't until later in later in my career. So then you um, get to the University of Michigan, or maybe even say right before that, you have um, three brothers, as you mentioned. Was it one older and two younger? Correct. And they all swam as well. And uh, we'll uh, let the cat out of the bag that they all uh, swam at the U.S. trials um, in their careers as well, right? Yep. So as you're that youth, you're still competing and getting better, like you said, in high school and as a late bloomer. But you've got an older brother who's kind of maybe already there, and you have some behind you. So, um, you know, how was uh, it, you know, ultimately uh, competing at that high school and getting ready? And then ultimately, like, how did you cho choose to go to U of M? How did you, you know, uh, find your way to Ann Arbor? Yeah, so actually both my parents went to, to Michigan, and so it kind of ran in the family. My brother Christian uh, looked at Michigan and Harvard. Um, he ended up going to Michigan. Um, I knew it was going to be a great possible option for me, a uh, great swimming program, a lot of uh, legacy of, you know, putting people on the Olympic team and, uh, you know, winning medals, breaking records, um, and a legendary coach there that recruited me. I looked at uh, University of Florida and University of Georgia, I felt like Michigan was the best overall fit for me personally, and, and being from the area, I, you know, it was something I just couldn't pass up to swim for John or Banchek. So I ultimately followed my brother to uh, U of M and had a great experience there. Okay, so he went to Michigan as well? Yep, uh, all, all four of us did. All right on, go blue four times. Yeah, yeah we're, we're a Michigan family. Which okay, is, that's great. Yeah, it's great. Lo love that. Um, so when you get to Ann Arbor, um, are you um, – a big man on campus freshman year? Are you just another student making his way? You know, we've had other guests on this show that um, were standouts in college for different things. And, you know, they say that the experience is unique. Um, I think you know that I was also a student athlete, nowhere uh, at the level you were at. But I know that, again, um, uh, your practice, your academics, and just the regiment um, – is, is a workload, but if someone knows who you are, you're getting special treatment. It, um, it's a, you know, you're in that fishbowl, no pun intended. So, uh, what, how, how, how did it go, you know, early on at U of M? Yeah. So I, I think like any, uh, freshman year, there's always an adjustment period. You're kind of in a new system. Um, so I just kind of took it in stride and said, I want to come in here and work as hard as I can. And, um, there are certainly people that were a lot better than me when I first got there. Uh, you know, they had Olympic gold medalists in the pool. Um, so for me to, to go from training at, you know, a high school level to swimming against the best in the world was a big adjustment. Um, but I, you know, 
I, I took it with a grain of salt, uh, tried to get better every day and uh, found myself kind of competing with them. Maybe not every day, but you know, some days I, I, I'd out touch a guy who won a gold medal in the Olympics and just kind of told me that, it, you know, if I can keep doing that, I can maybe get to the Olympics myself. So it, it was uh, just a taste of that success. Were you one of those student athletes that had the eye of the tiger and win at all costs and you would, um, you know, you would, um, you know, do whatever it takes and even, uh, you know, f- I don't know, fight against your teammates at all costs. You know, there's a, there's an individualism to it. And, um, uh, that again, that intensity that has to be there, or, you know, you can be, uh, you know, I'm going to win, but I don't have to have others lose, uh, that mentality. But again, it takes a unique individual to be at the highest level of any, you know, academic work, career, athletic, uh, situation. So kind of how were you, you know, again, around all these other athletes that had been there, done that? Yeah, so you said, I mean, swimming is a very individualistic sport. Uh, there's nobody that can go out there and do it for you. You're either going to do it or you're not. And uh, what you do is on the scoreboard and your time's up there. So there's no faking it in, in uh, the sport that I, that I uh, did. But um, I always felt like being a team player, helping others. Um, and I was fortunate to have a, a coach that really instilled that in me young um, would help me be better you know, that team environment, even though it's an individual sport, if you have people supporting you and you feel that support, uh, you're going to have a much better performance. And, and the same with your teammates. If you give them positive energy, good things are going to happen. It, it creates this wave of good things. So, um, you know, I, I always looked at it as, you know, whatever I can do to help the team and help my teammates is going to help all of us. Love that. Uh, and then talk about your coaches. So, again, it's an individual sport, but you're part of a team. And we're going to talk on this uh, more when we get to the Olympic journey. But um, with coaches, mentors, you know, whoever you surround yourself with that um, lift you up, encourage you, and or, again, coach and teach. So uh, you have had several living legends, um, you know, around you. So maybe talk about the importance of, of uh, your team and the coach. Yeah, so my coach growing up was uh, Jeff Cooper from the Oakland Livewires, and uh, just a, a really great coach. Cared a lot about his athletes. Uh, very lucky and blessed to have uh, you know kind of grown up swimming for him, and and he prepared me very well for college and, and beyond. Um, John Urbanchek was the coach at Michigan when I was recruited. Um, legendary coach. He'd been on you know decades of Olympic teams and had numerous Olympic medalists and world record holders over the years, and. Uh, he retired after my sophomore year. He kind of stayed on as a volunteer assistant, so he was there most of the time. But Michael Phelps came in, and, and Bob Bowman was his coach, was hired to replace John, and they were there for four years. I swam at Michigan through that period, and then Mike Bottom, who's the current coach, uh, uh, I swam for him for two and a half years uh, at U of M. So I was almost at U of M for almost 10 years. <laughs> right. So you uh, go to U of M in 2002? 2002. So you're swimming and you're doing well. You were freshman, a big, I think, Big Ten freshman of the year, that sort of thing. But then the Olympics are in 2004. So um, let's go right into 2004. So you're you know, at the University of Michigan and you're you know doing your things there. But now all of a sudden there's the Olympic trials and you're kind of going and trying to get on Team USA for 2004. Will you just walk us through kind of your memories of that? Yeah, so I knew kind of going into that summer that I would have a shot to make the Olympic team. I, I was by no means a lock, 
Um, but there were a couple events I had a shot to make the team, and and I wasn't, you know, banking on it. Uh, no one in my family was banking on it, and uh, I just went out there and, and ended up making it in the. I got uh, third in the two hundred free, which got me a spot on the relay. Um, I was also third in the four hundred, so I missed going in the four hundred by one spot, which was, you know, third at Olympic trials is not where you want to be. So I thought there were. Only, I thought th- you got three people on the team. Well, only two. Only so two. Many. Okay. Yeah, so that's a that's a raw deal. Okay. Yeah. You know, sometimes you can be the third best person in the world and not be on at the Olympics. So right. uh, it just shakes out that way. But that's that's how the you know the the sport unfolds sometimes. So. I don't know if you know this, but there are some athletes that they go to a new country so they can swim on that or be on that country's team. <laughs> I, I know some of those people. Yeah, yeah. so we're not shaking them down. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> hey, do what you got to do to get there. But, uh, again, we appreciate you staying true to US of A. Here we go. Of course, of course. So went to trials, uh, swam pretty good, uh, got third in the 200, and I'm off to Athens. They kind of take you right away, and it was just a whirlwind experience and something I'll never forget. I had a great time. We ended up winning the gold medal. Uh, in a very close race against Australia, uh, winning by, I think, 13 one-hundredths of a second and upsetting them, actually. so Yeah, they were the, the favorite to win, right? Yep, yep. They had the world record holder anchoring their relay, and it hadn't lost that relay in, like, seven years. And uh, Michael Phelps, Ryan Lochte, myself, and Cleet Keller were the kind of the young guns from Team USA and upset them and held on to that uh, event for a number of years after. So that was pretty solid, right? And then so you go to the Olympics. That's amazing. And then you come back to Ann Arbor, um, and you got a gold medal, and you're back on campus. Is Michael Phelps swimming in Ann Arbor in 05? He's just kind of getting back. He took a little time off because he wasn't in school at the time. Uh, you know, as a professional, he was. He never swam for U of M. Uh, he trained with us, but because he took uh, professional money, he lost his eligibility of, uh, during that era. So, um he, he showed up later in the fall, and we started training, getting ready for the next quad, really. I mean, there's Worlds and, and other events in between there, but, you know, he knew he was going to go on to 2008 Beijing and, and try and win some more medals. So that was kind of in the, the distance, but we all started training together and trained really, really hard. It was, a, it was a grind, but it was a lot of fun and just trying to get better every day. Do you – at that time, uh, swim year-round because, again, whether you're swimming for the University of Michigan or you're preparing for Worlds or you've got some other, uh, you know, again, something going on somewhere, or is there a down is there a downtime, a couple months here to, you know, rest and recoup? Uh, not really. I think the most I took off um, during that period was maybe two weeks out of the year, like a week in the spring maybe or a week in the fall. Um, just kind of kept grinding and, and trying to get better. I, I, you know, there's maybe some value in taking some time off, but I always felt like if I'm sitting around, I'm not getting better. So I just wanted to keep trying to do things different, do things better and, and get faster. And then uh, you go to 2008 Olympic trials again. So now you've graduated from U of M. And so between 2006 and 2008, you uh, go to, I'm just guessing, Colorado Springs to the Olympic training facility and just set up shop there for two years and uh, just lift weights every day and uh, we, probably not. We, we didn't go there that long. We did go there a number of times. I think the most time I spent there was like 24 days in a row. Um, and then we go off to a competition or something. But um, yeah, it was a, a lot of work, and then going into trials, um, this time around, it was a little bit different experience. I'm on the professional side of the sport now, um, much different than the collegiate side. You know, you're, you're trying to get sponsors and, and make money that way, so there's a whole business aspect of it. 
Um, but I was also more of a favorite. I, I had gotten better over the, you know, the last four years, and it, it was more of the target on my back than trying to make the team. So it was a little bit different feeling. Gotcha. And now uh, we're going to talk about um, the business of sports, you know, and uh, you're probably familiar now. It's name, image, likeness, NIL. Right. That sh- sh- changes the game. But uh, back then, certainly sponsorships. And I think the goal was to be on the Wheaties box. You know what I mean? Um, and so uh, you get to 2008 in Beijing, China. So uh, walk us through, you know, your memories of that. Yeah. So I made that Olympics in the 200 free, the relay. Uh, the 400 free and the 1500 free. So I had a, a, I swam almost every day at the Olympics. Uh, I think there was a day or two where I was off. Um, so it was a, a much more of a grind from the workload perspective of, you know, having to, to juggle all those events, which was fun. Um, I ended up getting fourth in the 400. So I just missed a medal. Again, the 400 seemed like the event I was, I was just missing stuff, <laughs> but uh, uh, got the bronze in the 200. We won the relay again. Uh, this time it wasn't close. We, we kind of smoked everybody, and then I, I think I got eleventh in the uh, fifteen hundred. So not not the best swim at the end there, but uh, it was a decent time. Just didn't get into the finals. And as you're traveling the world again, representing Team USA, we'll talk about it when you get to 2012 in London, England. Um, you know, there's got to be the pressure of representing your country, the pressure of uh, representing yourself, your internal pressures, the pressures of those around you. Don't want to let your family down. You don't let these coaches down. Um, so we'll talk about that um, after we talk about um, London, England. So that's 2012. So what did you do basically between 2008 and 2012? You're uh, fired up because you've got another gold medal. You uh, medaled, got the bronze, an individual event. You're maybe a little salty about how you swam that last race or something but you're still stoked. You're still like, uh, you know, a, a somewhat of a celebrity here in America. And then you got four years to, I mean, just to go around and like party. I mean, right. That's how, how it goes, right? Yeah. So I, I, you know, coming back from, from Beijing, I took a little bit more time off. I took a month off and kind of decided what I wanted to do. I wasn't, you know, a hundred percent sure I was going to go another four years, but I, I kind of felt deep down. I wanted to give it one more shot and see if I could do it and, and keep getting better and try and win some more. So um, end up get back in the pool training, um, having a, a pretty good four years there. And then, uh, uh, I didn't have the best trials in 2012. I, uh, I think I, I trained so hard. I hadn't rested by the time I got to the Olympic trials and I, I made the, uh, team in the 400 free, but I missed the 200 free. And I think that was just a kind of a calculation error on my part. Uh, but still went out like, to like a training calculation. Yeah, I, I don't think I rested enough. So in swimming, you taper. You, you do all this block of training, and then you taper. And tapers where you kind of come around. You It's like digging a hole and then climbing out of it. And I, I just hadn't climbed out of that hole 100% yet. And uh, it's just a timing thing. It's hard to, to uh, do time it correctly sometimes. And uh, ended up making the team anyway and going to London, winning bronze medal in the 400 free had a great time. It was maybe my probably my favorite game. So it was just a, a really well-run, athlete-centric games, and I, I don't have anything to complain about. I'm going to tell you, you were a co-captain of that team, so uh, that might have been pretty cool. And uh, you yeah. uh, may have been a little – I bet you were a little um, dis- disappointed in yourself for not qualifying to swim the 200. Yeah, I, w- I, I wish I could have been on that relay, but, you know, uh, everything works out the way it works out. I can't go back and change it now. So I, I looked at it at the time. How did they do? How did that team? Uh, how did that relay team do? Uh, oh, they won gold. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
So, I mean, I was, you know, that's, that was the goal. We want Team USA to win gold, so. Well, that's a great segue. We're going to talk about that. Um, you said it was your uh, favorite games, and in the intro, I said that you are a YouTube celebrity, okay? Well, then that 2012 Olympics in London, England, for those that are watching, and by the way, uh, we are over 1 million uh, TikToks of our podcast. Do you believe that? Can I get nice. a booyah? Yeah, we have 1 million TikToks. We have close to 50,000 downloads, so we're asking everyone out there, this is Season 3, Episode 1, to please download, share. We ask absolutely need you to subscribe. The only way that we can get more and more, um, uh, you know, of an audience and uh, have it pushed out by YouTube is by getting subscribers. So please share, subscribe, download, leave a comment, give us a like. And uh, with that, I think you'll know something about that because in 2012, there was a song by Carly Rae Jepsen called Call Me Maybe. Have you heard of the song? I have. Okay, and one of I think one of the female swimmers on Team USA Swimming, if I'm not mistaken, did a little uh, impromptu, you know, video choreograph that you guys all and gals all knew about, and then they just threw it out there like right around the Olympics. And I just I remembered it was so amazing, so awesome. Do you remember that video? I do. I remember Kathleen Hersey, who was on the team, said, "I'm putting this video together. Can you you know do a little clip here and there?" And I, I've never been like the most social media active person. And uh, she did it all and put it together, and it ended up blowing up. And it, everybody from home was laughing and, and calling me about it. It was fun. It was a great thing for the team. We had a lot of fun doing it. I think it was great. It was like one of the – maybe it was one of the original uh, TikToks. It was just longer, one of the original individual videos. You know, it was awesome. Yeah, I think maybe we uh, broke some ground there. Yeah, it was super fun. And again, uh, with the Olympics in general, that's the uh, unity, you know, the American spirit. And we talked about it just a few minutes ago. Let's talk about a little bit more about competing for yourself, for Peter Vanderkay, competing for your family, the Vanderkays, competing uh, as a U.S. swimmer um, and not a teammate for, you know, um, the relays that you're on, but also, again, for Team USA and going into the Olympic Village and just having that uh, those goosebumps. Uh, I get them, and I know all Americans do. I'm sure whatever country that you're from, when you watch those men and women representing your country on that world stage, there's got to be nothing like it. And so uh, from 04 to 08 to 2012, maybe walk through, you know, the first time you don't want to talk to anybody and they actually tell you to go sit in the corner and just, be, you know, be happy you're here. But after you do it a few times, times you're comfortable maybe and you see this at the opening and closing ceremonies particularly the closing ceremonies all the athletes they got their cameras out they're taking videos they don't want to ever forget this moment so can you just talk about like just what that's like and uh you know how you how you embraced it yeah it's 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 really cool I mean it's kind of hard to put in words it's a really big celebration of sport and uh you certainly feel the support from back home and as you said you know uh representing Myself, my family, my coaches, my teammates, my school, my state, my country. Um, that's something I, I really took seriously and, and wanted to do everybody proud. So um, it was just a lot of fun. Um, it can be daunting at times, uh, but, you know, that's why we prepare so hard. You go out there and, and practice every day. And I had a coach that said it's just like, uh, you know, recording something on tape and pressing play. When you get to the competition, it's just pressing play. All the work's done. And uh, you don't want to overthink it. Just go out there and try your best and race and have fun, and good things will happen. 
there's got to be a difference though between an Olympics where you're um, swimming one event and it's just one day, and maybe there's a you know there, there's the the prelims and the finals, but whether you said in that uh, 08 Olympics you're swimming every single day versus again you, you swim your event or any athlete has their competition the first day, then they get the next two weeks to just sit back versus the one it has on the very last day. So uh, again, uh, as you get older, and this is again you know what the podcast is about too is uh, sharing with our community about um, you know evolution and about taking it next level and um, sport is so important to business and business and sport are so important to other aspects of life. But again, um, cliches out there, stop and smell the roses. Like you said, you can't really smell the roses the day before your big event, even though you're just going to press play, you better be focused in. Talk again, how does that happen, right? Because it's, it's easier said than done. Yeah, it's a, it's a fine line to walk because you want to enjoy the moment, but you want to take it seriously too. So you're doing everything you can to be at your best, perform as best as you can. Um, without blocking everything out completely. So uh, it is challenging. It's easy to get caught up in the moment and, and just really kind of melt with excitement. Um, but, you know, you're there to do a job and you're there representing your country and you want to try and win. So it, it, it is a, a balance you have to walk for sure. Yeah, right on. Okay, and we're going to slowly segue into maybe uh, life after uh, swimming, but we're not done yet. We're not done yet. And we're not th- there yet. Okay. So um, I want to talk about like in the pool in general, um, preparing. You know, do you uh, listen to music? Um, I always see athletes, swimmers have their headsets on and they're doing something's going on. Um, is you getting motivational speeches to you, or you're just singing and or hearing music? Um, you know, and kind of just. Um, the preparation, you know, for your event and then after it's over, you know, you're coming down and resetting and, and how does that go? Yes, yeah, so I was a music guy, you know, leading up to the race, I like to just kind of keep to myself for a minute, put on some music, visualize my race, uh, which I think is really important because if you can't see yourself doing it, um, it's hard to do. You, you really have to see yourself winning and, and kind of going through that race. So, I would re- I would play that race in my mind how I want it to go and um, you know sometimes I was to music and if I was too amped up it you know wouldn't be the rock music if it was you got to get get amped up I'd be listening to something heavy so uh, or something that just got me going you know whatever I felt like got my adrenaline going fair enough and then the next question about singing or music is on the podium you were there four times. Were you one of those uh, uh, champions that um, looks at the flag as it's being raised and they're playing the Star Spangled Banner and sings the words? Or do you just sit there and stare at the flag and reflect? Or you're just, I don't even know what you're doing because you're in shock? Or are you got something else going on? So in, in that moment, I think I was kind of singing lightly. Uh, my voice, not a great singer, so certainly not belting it out. That song's a hard one anyway. But... Uh, you know, one thing they always said was, if you're going to sing it, don't mess it up. Right. Right. Get the words right. So uh, I never had that problem. But everyone says in that moment, it's like a blur. You hardly remember it. And it's kind of like that for me, too. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, we're going to kind of slowly wrap up this part of the show with um, favorite race. Favorite race, favorite racing memory from uh, the Olympics. So I think the f- my favorite race from the Olympics is probably... 2004 just because it was such a close exciting race we weren't supposed to win it um and we we did by a small margin so um, that was a race that you know just going to the olympics was such a dream come true to win a gold medal too and and do it in such an exciting fashion was was just incredible it changed my life 
Okay, then we'll go the other way. So not just Olympics, but in your swimming career, biggest disappointment. Oh, that, that's hard to pick. Um, had a ton of disappointments, and I, I think. Time out. You've had a ton of disappointments, but listen, I want to show to the uh, viewers these four disappointments. <laughs> okay. So, again, I know there is. Anyway, so didn't mean yeah. to interrupt you, but, um, yeah, please, the biggest disappointment. You know, it's hard to pick just one. I, you know, I, I've had bad races on the international uh, level. I've had, uh, you know, races where I've been disqualified, not at the international level, but throughout my career. I mean, there's been a lot of finishes that were not gold, silver, or bronze. And I think that's what, I think when people watch the Olympics, I think we, you know, we're born this way and we never lose. That's certainly not the case. I mean, everybody comes up the same way and you lose a lot. And if you don't learn how to lose, you, you never know how to win, I think. So um, that's that's a really tough one. I don't know if I've ever been asked that before, but I think, uh, you know, maybe – one of the, the uh, trials where I got third or just missed the, the team or, you know, getting fourth in, in Beijing and the 400 free, big disappointment. But I, I tried my best. I got to live with it. That's an amazing attitude because, again, when you're at that level, like you, uh, you know, most of those athletes are angry. Like, again, they're disappointed. They, they, don't, they don't care. It's, to be honest, it's not about the country. It's not about teammates. Like, at that moment, you just want to flip a table and you just want to kick something, right? So, oh, um, it's, it's certainly and maybe, maybe time has uh, mellowed you out. I don't know how you were back then. but um, Yeah, I think I have a di- different perspective on it now. I, I, I can uh, smile about those losses now a little bit easier. A couple more questions about swimming. Um, one would be, and I'm not a swimmer, okay, in the competitive sense. Uh, when there's a comp- competition going on or when your race is underway, there are people that are walking back and forth on the pool deck and they're yelling. So, A, what are they yelling? And, B, can you hear them? Because your head is, at least one of your ears, if not both, are underwater. Yeah, so depending on the, the volume and pitch of their voice, you can hear them. Uh, but those are coaches. They're trying to motivate athletes and uh, you know, especially in a like a freestyle event like mine, if you're turning to breathe, uh, you can see somebody waving their arms and shaking a piece of paper at you and yelling. Um, so they're trying to motivate swimmers and get get a better performance out of them. So uh, that certainly happened to me a lot of times. Did it work? Does it work? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So you got to go see that coach after. Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. Because uh, so I've got uh, you know I've got children and they play uh, uh, soccer. Okay, and uh, one doesn't anymore, but the other two do, and. Um, they're on travel teams and they're getting older and it's competitive, but the parents on the sidelines are always just yelling at the kids, right? And the coach, and this is a competitive, very competitive soccer, um, where the coaches come over and say, listen, stop yelling at the kids because, A, you don't even know what you're yelling. You're just yelling to kick the ball and do this, and we don't want them doing that. Like, you don't know how to understand the organization, you know, of the of the play we're putting together. And you're just saying, kick it, Johnny, kick it, Joey. Um, and so you're not supposed to just yell at them. And obviously it's your coach yelling at you but if he's just saying swim harder swim like that's what they say kick the ball farther I don't think it's gonna help you so it's got to be something more specific than that yeah I think in in the team sports like a soccer you know football you got to be a little more strategic in your message but uh in swimming or you know running it's 
it's they're yelling at you to go try okay. harder okay. move faster <laughs> don't don't they know that's what you're trying you know i get it okay you <laughs> said it like works. a little pressure yeah you said it works that's cool all right how about the technology of um swimming um back in the day we're going to talk about a couple swimmers mark spitz this guy michael phelps um yourself most uh swimmers back in the day had speedos and again, Speedo is kind of like uh, Kleenex. It's actually a brand. So I don't even know if there's actually an official name for the swimsuit because Speedo is, you know, probably a trademark of Speedo, right? And Chapstick right. is lip balm and right. uh, Kleenex is tissue. So anyway, but it went from um, the Speedo style bathing suit, if you know what I'm talking about, yeah. to it went to these full suits. And uh, and then talk about just that and the caps changed and different things. Um, so, you know, what about the evolution of the sport in general? And, you know, um, kind of, I guess, to talk about that cupping computer uh, in an interview you did uh, uh, recently, you talked about them analyzing your stroke underwater and stuff like that. So just talk about the evolution of swimming and, the how, you know, hundredths or thousandths of a second is what separates winners from second or third yeah so there i mean even in the time that i swam for 20 years there was a lot of evolution in the technology the science behind it the training the nutrition all that stuff and it, it's continued on after i've you know I've, i really haven't competed in 10 years um it's gotten a lot better since i've been done um the the suits i think are, are something people focused on because if you go back to you know decades and decades ago guys are wearing like burlap you know it's <laughs> heavy type of suit that you know it's not it's all loose and you know they figure you got to make this more hydrodynamic so they go to the the, the what you call the speedo the brief the you brief. know which is okay. like the, the the smallest suit you can wear and then they figured out that you know if you wear something more like bike shorts the compression actually helps your muscles uh endure a little bit longer and then with that technology became the body suits and uh, that whole era of the suits, and I don't, I'm probably getting in the weeds a little bit here, but you know, in 2009 they had the last era of tech suits, and it was basically like rubber on your body. I mean, it was tight. It was hard to get on. It was like wearing a rubber canoe, and uh, you had all these people breaking world records. Like we went to a Worlds, and there's like 40 world records broken, which is unheard of. I mean, there'd usually be five a year, maybe. And so the organization that governed the whole world said we got to tone this down because it's like tech doping right. and the suits became more expensive. So we didn't want to limit people uh, or their performance because they couldn't afford a suit or didn't have access to a suit. And so now it's a little bit more stringent. It's on the men's side, what looks like bike shorts, they call it a jammer. And then uh, women's is about the same, uh, you know, down to your knee. Okay, fair enough. Um, but it is interesting, the evolution of technology and then whether that's in the sport of golf or in swimming. You didn't think you could have that much technology in swimming, but apparently, like you said, with those suits and just the whole uh, computer software diagnostics of your stroke and everything, um, yeah. it's pretty it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and they're, I mean, now they have all the sensors you can wear and the wearables or whatever they call them. I mean, I remember when I first went to the Olympic Training Center, it was like a big deal to get underwater footage. Uh, because all that stuff was pre-digital, it was all on tape, and so uh, that was that was like a big game changer for looking at your technique. Now anybody can do that with their phone, right? right. It's, it's crazy. So, 
Well, uh, what about doping? What about um, and when you were uh, still a swim a swimmer, an active swimmer for Team USA, there was a lot of um, you know um, doping and a lot of you know illegal substance to enhance. And um, um, nowadays, it's um, even cannabis and just um, the use of recreational drugs. And um, you know there was an Olympian who was kicked off the team for um, testing positive for cannabis. So a you know. Uh, what are your thoughts on drugs in, you know, any sporting uh, community, but swimming or anything else? Yeah. So performance enhancing drugs are, are, you know, they're an issue. Um, They're an issue in a lot of different sports. Uh, People have mixed opinions about them. I'm in the camp that I I think they don't have a place in sports. Um, And the reason being that sports, everyone wants to believe is uh, because you work for it and, you earned it and not because you could afford a substance that made you better. And it, you know, it's the haves and have nots. Everyone likes to think it's a level playing field. And I think performance enhancing drugs changes that in a way that it's not, um, might be incredible to see something done that somebody does on drugs, but, um, there's also another aspect that's what's the long-term health ramifications of taking something like that, especially in youth. Uh, so we don't want to send that message that it's a win at all cost. It's, you know, let's let's go out there and try our best and work hard, and the winner is the winner. Yeah, I agree 100%. And as you said, back to just wearing the suits, they decided to knock it off and to stop, um, you know, the advancement of the suits. And it's the same thing, um, young people. So we're going to segue to uh, young people and motivating them, young student athletes, those, whether it's swimming, baseball, basketball, football, whatever the sport is, they're all trying to impress their uh, high school coach to not only start but excel and then also to try to get into colleges and scholarships. And so, again, back in the day, um, I think uh, what like Arnold Schwarzenegger and some other bodybuilders were taking um, steroids. Um, let's talk about, again, for the youth out there um, who want to be student athletes, you know, um, you know, not to do that. So let's talk about not doing that and how, but what it takes to succeed the sacrifices and understanding um, that it's not just show up and win. Right. You have to put the time in and, and uh, you, you have to go through some things that are uncomfortable and you have to make sacrifices. And that's a personal decision. I think every athlete has to make if it, if it's worth it to them or not, um, you have to want it and wanting it allows you to make those decisions or not. Um, and that doesn't mean, you know, it's for everybody. But I, I think you know, everybody's got to make that, that decision in their own skin. Um, I think the great thing about sports and, and today, it's probably always been this way, but I see it more and more, is people focus on the outcome and not the process. And focusing on the process, one, will make you better. It's the little things you do every day. But it's also a, a vehicle uh, to teach us great life lessons uh, responsibility, success, you know, doing those things, everything I learned that I can apply to my business or, uh, relationships that, that I think holds any water, uh, I, I could learn through swimming. It doesn't have to be swimming, it could be any sport, you know, you work hard and what you put in is what you get out and be a good teammate and all that stuff. Uh, I think people lose sight of that as a vehicle to making good people in our society. I think, you know, we're always concerned about, uh, all the championships and the money and that sort of stuff. But if you really dial it back, sports is a, it's a educational tool and it's a lot of fun. It can be fun. 
Yeah, it should be fun, but it's absolutely an educational tool, and it gives you the building blocks for life. Life is not fair, right? And there are winners and there are losers, and you have to know how to, again, we'll say a lot of cliches, but you have to be a good winner. You can't be a sore loser, uh, but you need to learn how to accept loss and also accept how to learn how to accept winning. You have to understand that uh, you'll get lucky some days, but um, it's also those who are the most prepared uh, tend to have the most luck. Right. And so uh, sacrifice uh, versus talent. There are all kinds of different thoughts about, um, you know, give me a hard worker with less talent versus give me the most talent who's uh, not a hard worker. And we can try to push the hard, the lazy, talented one to be a hard worker. You know, where where do you where do you fall in that? And again, you're a new father. We'll talk about your family here in a minute. But um, you know, where do you fall from? Again, you're growing up. Obviously, you said you didn't even have the talent for a while. You just had to work hard to to find it. But in general, um, I. I'm on a quest, you know, with this podcast and just um, in life to let people recognize that, um, you know, it's a hard, hard road to success, whatever it is that you want to be successful at. So for young people that are um, going into high school to be athletes, those are in college to be student athletes, those just getting out of school that want to do uh, startups for business, those that want to, um, you know, go um, buy a bunch of real estate and then have them as Airbnbs, uh, just to have whatever the success is. You don't just show up and, again, don't just get a medal. So talk about, uh, again, dedication, grit, grind, sacrifice, and, again, everything that goes along with that. Yeah, so I, I think well said. Um, I think, the again, the process is, is super important. And uh, I had a coach tell me one time, you know, win or lose, what did you learn? And uh, I, I think you can learn a lot from failure probably a lot more from failure than you can from winning because failure just means it's an opportunity to learn right so whether it's business or sports or relationships you know taking a look and and that constructive criticism of you know what can I do better next time is going to make you a better person it's going to make you a better competitor it's going to make you a better you know family member friend uh whatever it is so I I think that's super important yeah I I agree um on that note there's two schools of thought in terms of motivating those young athletes. One is don't push them too hard and take the fun out of it because then they'll burn out and they'll resent anybody involved, let's say parents, and then they'll um, throw in the towel and give up. Have you heard this? Oh, yeah, I've seen it. Okay, but then there's the other way, which is um, if you don't push hard enough, then the athlete who has some ability will have fun and will enjoy it, and at the local level, they will be uh, a champion. They will win in the neighborhood of Rochester, but uh, they go down the street and uh, they get their butt kicked because they didn't really apply themselves. So what about um, the – pushing too hard and then they burn out and fail uh, and hate everything and and they don't, you know, like it anymore or whatever. But then the other side where if you don't push um, some or again, push full tilt and you know what, maybe they won't like it. And maybe this is the Tiger Woods story, right? For the longest time, at least the legend is that uh, his father pushed him so hard. Tiger didn't even like golf. Like he was just so sick that he was just a robot for his dad and right. But 
I think he's probably enjoying himself now, except for obviously all of the again life lessons that have been involved. So you know, you're a, you're a brand new dad. I've got three, and I'm going to start mentoring you. Uh, you know, outside of this podcast, because we uh, we have things we do together where um, it's a it's a slippery slope. It's a tight wire to walk. But you know, what are your thoughts, or where do you uh, you know where do you think it is in terms of molding and mentoring and having uh, those student athletes uh, you know get to the pinnacle without going too far. Yeah, so it's certainly a fine line, and I think a lot of that falls on the coach to decide when to push and when to pull. Um, you know, parents can have some input, but I think if you have parents that, that want something more than their kid, um, it, it leads to a situation where, you know, you talk about burnout, the, you know, the kid's doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, so I think you really have to walk that line. Um, at a young age, you know, in single-digit age, I don't think there's really much you can do that's going to change the trajectory in a positive way, training-wise, for an athlete that age. You know, at least it, I, I should say that in, from my uh, sport. You know, physiologically, you're not going to do any training that's going to really have an impact at that age. So it's about learning the fundamentals. It's about learning the sport, having fun, you know, learning how to be a good teammate, uh, learning how to be coachable, that sort of stuff. And then as they get older, it's up to the coach to decide, hey, you know, I can pour it on this kid a little bit more, get them outside their comfort zone because that's how you grow, right? If you're not right. being pushed, but you got to know when to do that. Yeah, that's a fair fact. Uh, I will tell you a little another fast fact. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting and having dinner with Janet Evans. Do you know who she is? Oh, yeah. Okay, and she was, I think, the youngest uh, gold medal swimmer ever or sort of female side or something, right? She was yeah. a phenom. She was like yeah. a 12-year-old or a 10-year-old or some kind of crazy young phenom. So she's the exception to that rule. And I know, but she did say she got burnt out because people, whether it was on the sponsorship side, to her coaches, to everyone in that world, uh, they weren't necessarily using her, but they were um, – pushing her to be, you know, this um, non-child. Right. And so I don't know exactly now, you know, uh, her complete thoughts on it, but I do know that she uh, said that she wasn't, like, very happily getting to the pool every morning for all those years as a, you know, a a uh, pre-teen. Yeah, I can only imagine how that felt, you know. Gymnasts are probably the same way, right? Yeah, at that age when it's like, oh, wow, this feels like a job now. You know, everybody else is out there just having fun. I feel like this is a job. Um, for me, it w- that didn't come along until I was much more mature, so I, I didn't have to deal with that. I think it's a little bit more common in females because they develop earlier. And, uh, you know, I've seen that. Katie Ledecky, when she made the London team, was, I think, 13 or 14 years old. Uh, but she carried herself amazingly well at that age. I was super impressed with her, and she's been impressive since. But, uh, yeah, that's that's hard. that's a hard line to walk so you, you really have to have a coach that has a knack for seeing you know when to push and pull and some other countries again are known for it i can't say they do it but they're known for again um uh raising athletes almost to be soldiers and that again they must uh, compete or else they are you know put into some island somewhere right. or to some small town never to be heard from again um and that's kind of a shame but that's again that's different cultures and different things but right 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 um, all right, well, that's a great segue. You said it's a job. It's not supposed to be a job. It should be fun, but it should be a job, and you should get paid. Okay, so whether it's sponsorships or Wheaties boxes and certainly, um, you know, uh, the four years in between, we've seen athletes documented that they go work at Home Depot. They actually just spend time, you know, serving ice cream at Dairy Queen or whatever the case is. But um, for you, 
now that the Olympics are over, it's almost been, uh, what has it been, 10 years? 10 years. 10 years. So you've had to grow up, my friend. You've had to enter the big, bad world of business, okay? And uh, you've also, you got married not too long ago. How long have you been married? Uh, almost two years. Heck yeah, Morgan. Yep. By the way, she's a babe. Good job there. <laughs> Thank and you. And then you just had your uh, first child, Cliff. He's like brand new. The stork just delivered this dude. Yeah, he's he's pretty fresh. He'll be six weeks uh, in a couple days here, so... Um, everyone's doing good. We're we're having fun. If I look tired, uh, it's because he's he's an early morning guy. He's, he'll be good at morning practice in the pool if he's a swimmer. Okay. All right. Well, again, uh, as an ex-student athlete, certainly nowhere near an Olympian, um, I actually like didn't push my children to go into the sports that I excelled at and kind of just let them find their own way. And I actually always am wondering if I should have. You know, golf was kind of my game, and they want to play it now a little bit, but I'd never really like kind of just kept throwing golf clubs in their hands. And they're just uh, – I want them to be amazing human beings first. That's the most important, and uh, find their way and have that fun, you know, as we talked about. I want to talk about – a segment that we call What Peter Do. Okay? And I don't even know what to say. It's either What Peter Do, it's What Pete Do, or it's What PVK Do. Okay? And this is a segment of the show where instead of What Do We Do, this is what you would do. And this is what you would tell your 18-year-old self or other 18-year-olds today to live their best life, to make a change and something that you wish you had either done or that you knew about uh, back then. Yeah, so I, I mean, there's a lot of things that come to mind, but I think uh, looking back, something that, advice that that's really good is is find your passion, uh, work towards that. Don't let anybody else direct you in a, a direction that you don't want to go. Find your passion, work, and and everything works out. Um, but also, it's okay to be uncomfortable. You know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, because that's the only way, if, you, if you're not pushing yourself, you're not growing. And uh, th- there's no other way to do it, in my opinion. So it's okay to fail. We talked about failure. Um, I think that's really important because you learn from it. And that would be my advice to my younger self. I like that. Very well said. And I uh, have always said, uh, when you fail, so not if you fail, but when you fail, evaluate why, make a change, and try again. Yeah. Fair enough? Absolutely. Okay. So as uh, you have uh, uh, moved on from the sporting world, uh, you know, officially, you are now in the business world. And so let's talk about, again, um, what you said in terms of, uh, you know, going after it and uh, not giving up and all of that. So let's talk about your uh, nine to five briefly. Tell uh, the audience what you do nine to five to put some uh, bread on the table, a little, uh, you know, I don't know, broccoli uh, on the plate. And then let's talk about this uh, latest venture that I'm very excited that you uh, and your family are in. Yeah, so uh, nine to five, I work for Signature Associates in commercial real estate brokerage uh, office in Southfield here. I've been doing that for almost eight years now, um, and it's been fantastic. And it, a, a lot of athletes end up in this business because it's one of those businesses where you're kind of running your own business. What you put in is what you get out. So it's exactly how my swimming career was, just a little bit different, right? I'm not in the pool. I'm drinking a cup of coffee instead of diving in a cold pool in the morning, so it's it's not too bad. Do you take a cold shower just because you know what? I'm just so used to being cold. Like, do you just like turn it on as cold as you can to get in the not shower? Not too often. Okay, not good. Too all often. right, all right. But uh, maybe I should more uh, as I talk about being uncomfortable, right? Right, right. But uh, so that's my nine to five. Love it. Love the company I'm with. Um, the new venture is uh, I'm a partner in a swim school that just opened in Sterling Heights called Big Blue Swim School, and my 
uh, roommate in college actually started the company in Chicago. They've since uh, opened a number of locations nationwide, and he's franchising them now. So uh, me and my brother and two uh, former teammates from Oli, Oakland Livewires, are partners in that, along with the franchisee out of Chicago. And uh, it's been great. We always wanted to get back involved in the sport in some way, and we're all passionate about just being water safe. I mean, you don't have to go to the Olympics to love swimming. Uh, going to the beach on a warm summer day in Michigan is just fine. But you should know how to swim. Should know how to swim. Right? Everyone should uh, know how to throw a football. Everyone should know how to swing a tennis racket. Everyone should know how to swim. And that's for a safety perspective, but um, it's also a pretty fun sport, um, even if it's just in a pool. Right. Just recreationally, boating, swimming. Um, we look at it as, you know, this this uh, shouldn't be a privilege. It should be an opportunity everyone has, especially in our Great Lakes state. So, uh, you know, we're, we're excited about kids coming through that program and, getting more kids in our community to learn to swim. Now, are you um, um, an active investor there, meaning are you working there, and are you just, just an equity investor? Or, you know, what uh, what's the status now? But also, um, I always like to tell our viewers and our listeners that the average millionaire has seven streams of income. And, Peter, you're not average. I don't think I'm average. I might be below average, but either way, we strive to be above average. So we actually encourage our uh, clients and anybody we're trying to talk to about money to get and try for 11 streams of income. So seven is average. No one wants to be a perfect 10. We want to be a perfect 11. So we always use the number 11. I don't know if you knew that. So with that, this would be uh, hopefully, if not now, down the road, a second stream of income. I don't need to know all, how many have going all together. But um, uh, with this one, what are you doing with it uh, to, to help our audience understand, you know, where they are and their, and their um, you know, their goals and dreams of uh, um, they're building their empire, their portfolio. And then what are your goals and dreams um, after this is settled? Yeah, so I'm just a, an equity investor in Big Blue. Um, I'd love to be more involved with the teaching side, but I just can't carve it out on a day-to-day basis with my 9 to 5. So maybe down the road I'll, I'll have some more time to, to get involved in the pool. But uh, for that, just equity. Um, like you said, streams of income, I'm always trying to invest and, and uh, save. It's just my mentality. Um, I think one of my rules is that I think is really important is – don't invest in what you don't know. Um, and I don't know if you guys tell your clients that, but uh, that, that's from learning from experience that the best thing I can do is is invest in the things that I understand and I know, and, and those work out a lot better than the ones I don't. There's a quote, and I don't know if it's Warren Buffett who has actually kind of said that, don't invest in things you don't know. So that could be something that you've stolen from the Oracle of Omaha. Have you yeah, heard this Yeah, it sounds guy? like something he would say. If you yeah. don't understand it, don't invest in it. Right? Yeah, and he actually has a great quote out there for swimming. So I'm going to throw this at you, Peter. Warren Buffett is quoted as saying, only when the tide goes out do you discover who's been swimming naked. <laughs> Yeah. Have you heard of this? I, I, I have heard that before. Yeah. And I actually, know he said it. Yes. And he said it. And again, it goes for um, investing um, and understanding what your investments are. Or again, the um, the message there is that when things are just going along, you know, you can kind of um, fake it. 
But when, um, you know, when the rubber hits the road, as they say, another cliche, you'll see who's prepared and who's not. And so right. in that case, when it comes to companies and earnings and which ones will survive, which ones are prepared for economic, um, you know, situations of turbulence, that's when you'll see, you know, who's, uh, who's got swim trunks on. Right. Uh, what did you call it? The br- What did you the call brief. it? The brief. Right. Who's got a brief and who's naked? There's a big difference. <laughs> I think that's great. Well, again, I appreciate you so much for coming on. Um, I'd like to ask you uh, – with these metals, which one, um, you know, is the most near and dear to you, if any? And then also, I want to know if you've had them appraised. I want to know um, where they stay. And if you're done with them, I'm more than happy to hold them for you for a while. <laughs> well, yeah, anytime you want to borrow them, just give me a call. Um, so I don't have one that's a, a favorite. Um, they all kind of tell a different story for me that I'm super proud of and different memories. Um, we have the, the gold from Athens, the gold from Beijing, the bronze from Beijing and the bronze from London. Um, it's funny because when I won this, I was 20 years old and my parents said like, you know, what's it worth? Do we get it insured? Um, you know, we have to keep it heavily locked up. What we just don't know. And so they called the Olympic committee and asked and they said, well, it's actually only worth about $400 material value. Come on. Yeah, so uh, they're like, well, it's not really worth insuring for that amount. And uh, it's funny because when I won the bronze, uh, somehow I found out what the bronze is worth in material value is like a dollar ninety nine. Come on, <laughs> yeah. are you kidding me right now? Yeah, it's scrap metal. Well, price. then I'll give you two bucks. I'll give you with inflation. I'll give you five, <laughs> and I'll just take it. No, just kidding. I mean, the value for me is in priceless. what they represent. That's priceless. And, uh, you know the memories and that stuff. I mean, you can see they're all dinged up from people holding them and. Uh, they're fun to share. Yeah, that's awesome. And you're an awesome dude. I uh, wish you nothing but blessings uh, down the road. Um, you've worked hard. Uh, we, you know, spend time together where you get to play hard and in a, a positive way. But um, life is a journey that uh, you have to work hard to have success and nothing comes easy. And if it does, you know, then you've you know, you better just embrace that and recognize that that's the exception, not the rule. Um, anything else you'd like to say to our viewers and our listeners before we uh, wrap up today? Oh, I think we covered it. Thanks for having me. My man, this is season three of our podcast, What Do We Do? This is episode one. And uh, I ask everyone again to download, share, subscribe, give us a like, give us a comment. Tell Peter whether you prefer Peter, Pete, or PVK, and tell him which one of these uh metals you know you would like to borrow for the weekend to uh you have as a prop at your next party uh pete with that again i want to thank you again can i get a big booyah Booyah. thank you so much for coming out and with that as we always say this is season three episode one and we're just getting started just getting started The opinions expressed in this program are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. It's only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risks and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional.